Everybody can and will let's stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Don't always do that when I feel led to ask you, I do. It's a request, not a requirement. You can stay seated if you'd rather. But listen to what the Word of God says, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You may be seated. Father, I'm thankful today for the privilege of being in this place. And thank you, Lord, for your people that you allow me to worship with from week to week. Thank you for the spirit that we feel in this place, for the blessings you've already had, the song about you, God, and how great you are, how that it just ministered to our heart and to our spirit. But Father, we've come here to worship you. This, this is all about you and in us doing what we do, Father, for you. You bless us, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in this. Pray that your son would be honored, that has done so much for us, is doing so much for us, and has so much planned. Father, I just pray, God, that you would glorify him and, and yourself. Bless your people. May the word of God edify them, but if someone... Someone in here is lost and undone. God, I prayed today would be the day that they're convinced of their sins, their need of Jesus, and be converted by the power of Almighty God. For that and all things else, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. For we ask it in that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said. I'm going to talk to you this morning about this, and it'll probably be more of a teaching message than it will preachy, but I'm going to apologize and pray that I won't run um, too many rabbits because I want to get through this today. But I'm going to talk to you about when, now listen to this statement, when God came. Man, for many years, for many centuries, for many lands and countries have been trying to find how to get up to God. But we as Christians, we as believers, friend, listen, God found a way to come down to us. There were two times that God humbled himself as far as I can understand the word of God, and both of them in relation to mankind. Isn't that amazing? In the garden, he spoke everything in existence except man. When it came to man on the sixth day, his crowning work of creation. Listen, the Bible said that he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, I don't know this. I'm using the spiritual imagination here, but I can just see God after he formed Adam, that red man out of the red clay of the earth, he just knelt down, cur curled him up in his arms and brought him close to his bosom and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you see God humbling himself like that? Then a day came about 4,000 years later when he came into this world through a virgin's womb, lived 33 and a half years for us. On a day that was planned in eternity, he went to a cross at Calvary and he humbled himself there, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and he did it for sinners like me and you. Man, I ought to make everybody in here want to stand up and say glory, hallelujah. When God came, there's a song that says, he came to me, and I'm glad that he did. Look for this Christmas season. 
I want us to look at the Son of God from three points of view, and we're going to do that by using the gospel according to John, the gospel according to Matthew, and the gospel according to Luke. And you say, what about, what about Mark? I'll say a few things, but God's not laid him on my heart. So as we do, I pray we'll be able to see that in the birth of the virgin-born Son of Mary, we can see again that God came. A king came and a man came. Now look, these four accounts of the gospel are not four gospels. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. I think we know that, but it's good to emphasize certain things and be extremely clear on them. They are not four gospels, but they are four accounts of one gospel. It's according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So as we look at them, friend, we don't see we, we, we don't see, um, we want to look at them uh, from those four perspectives. We'll see in their, um, in their presentation of, of Jesus Christ as the way they do, we'll see no, con- no collusion with them. How many of y'all know what, uh, what collusion is? If you go to court and you testify, if you're in a group that, uh, that's being caught up in something and you go before the judge and you all give the same story with the same words in the same way, you know what? You're going to get in more trouble. That's colluding. The judge will say, y'all got together and you rehearsed your story and you made it uh, so that everybody the same thing. Can I tell you, whether you knew this or not, it's a great blessing. I'm about to have a fit right now. The fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, uh, listen, are four different accounts. Although Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels or similar gospels, we have got a individual account of the same individual and you know what that pretty well is sure that these accounts are the real thing isn't that amazing well I like that I like that truth I love that truth now we don't have a biography of Jesus Christ it is not a biography of Jesus Christ but it is a portrait of him but why why four accounts Well, I got a brilliant answer. Y'all ready for it? Only God can tell you that. Isn't that good? I mean, I got to thinking about that, and the Lord said, look, you just may as well tell them it's up to me and not to anyone else. No one but God can answer that. But let me tell you this. There are many places in the Word of God, many places in the Word of God that we can see the number four showing up that points even from the Garden of Eden towards the four gospel accounts. Not five, not six. But let me give you just a little very, very, what would I call it? A very infantile kind of connection to the number four on planet Earth. When you look at a compass, there is anywhere you're at, a north, south, and an east and west, right? So anywhere man is, whether it be north, south, east, or west, the gospel is able to get to them and convict them of their sins and convict them of their need of Jesus and do a work on them for eternity. I told you now that that is is, uh, infantile, meaning small in, in mental 
abilities. But I believe it fits nonetheless. You can go back to the book of Genesis chapter 2, the book of beginnings. And when God begins to describe that garden that he put Adam and Eve in, he said there was a river. And that river, when it came out of Eden, broke up not in five, not in three, but four streams. Can you see the gospel in that? As you go down through the word of God, when you get over to the book of Exodus, uh, or, or over the book of Exodus in chapter uh, 26, when God has taken Moses upon Mount Sinai and said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I give you in the ark. When God began to talk about, when he began to talk about the temple, when he began to talk about the court, when he began to talk about the holy place and the holiest of holies, when he began to talk about access into the, into the outer court, access into the temple or the tabernacle, and then access into the holies of holies. You know what he does? He begins to describe three different veils, three different veils. And you know what those veils were made out of? They were made out of fine twined linen. And they, they, those veils, could you guess how many different colors that they have in them? Not three, not five, but four. And you know what colors they were? They were white. They were, uh, they were blue. Let me give them to you in order over there in Exodus 26. They were blue because God starts on the inside over there and works out. You'll find them listed in a different way in other places of the Bible, and there's a reason for that. But he begins with the blue. And then I believe he follows up uh, with the purple, which speaks of, of royalty. Blue speaks of heaven. Purple speaks of royalty. Then he goes on with the red that speaks of redemption. Then the white uh, that speaks of purity or perfection. You know what we have there? We have a view of what God is going to do in the gospel of John when he presents since God that came out of heaven appeared on planet earth in flesh. When you go on down through there, when you look at the purple, we find that the king has come. The king isn't coming. He's already come, but he's coming back again. Amen. And then we find the suffering servant dying in the book of Mark. At ox, and then we find that perfect man that came to die for the imperfect men. Thank God. I'll tell you what, if you begin to look long enough, hard enough, you can see the gospel show up everywhere, it seems to me, in the Word of God. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, go to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, Ezekiel, chapter 1, you know what you'll find? You'll find a bunch of strange looking creatures praising God Almighty, protecting His glory, and giving Him glory as only these strange creatures can. They're either called cherubims or seraphims. And you know what? They've got four faces. Could you guess who they look like? Listen, they had four different faces. They had the they had the face of a lion, had the face of an eagle, had a face of an ox. Can you guess who they relate? Matthew. Uh, Matthew is the gospel of the king. So there's the lion, the king of the beast. Uh, Mark, he was the gospel, uh, listen, that presented Christ as an ox, as a tireless servant of Jesus Christ. And there's the face of the ox. And then you've got Luke. You've got Luke that presented Jesus Christ as the perfect man. You've got the face of a man. And then you see in John's gospel, he's presenting God in the flesh to mankind, and you see the face of an eagle. Thank God. Listen, I don't know why four gospels, I don't know why God did it, but I want to tell you what, he did it in such a way that you and I are to rare 
back and give him glory and honor and praise for who he is and what he's done to listen to this on our behalf. Can I tell you all in those four faces and those four threads, he's revealing something to, to us. Do you know that? He's not just filling up pages on the Word of God. He's just not needing something to go right here. He has a set purpose for that, and I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that he does. Are you all right? So look, this is, this is just an introduction, just as introduction. So we can see, friend, we can see in simple things some of the depths and the breadth of the wisdom of God as he put on display these things, as we see his son manifest and also declared. And I'll say more about that in, in just a little bit. Now, none of us, and believe me, I can tell you, none of us, uh, can plummet its vast expanse of the knowledge of Almighty God. But all of us can pray that the Father today will open our eyes and open our understanding and lengthen our memories who look at the Word of God and find that God came. Now, can you all just let that soak a minute? Anybody in here that's done maintenance work has used something called, uh, um, Lord, I'm going brain dead. What do you spray on a bolt to loosen it? WD-40, that's another. And what else? DV blaster, PV blaster, PB? PB blaster. Never heard of that one, never seen it. That's why I'm having trouble saying it, amen. PV blaster, I'd like to see that. Sounds like good. What do you do when you spray it on an old rusty bolt and a nut? You let it set and soak a little bit. I'm telling you, listen, listen to me. Get it this morning. God came down to save sinners like me and you. Woo! But that's pretty good stuff. He didn't send an angel, didn't send Gabriel, didn't send Michael, but he came himself. Thank God. Thank God that he did. So what are you going to do with this preacher? I don't have any idea, really. I'm about to lose it. In John's gospel account, many things are included. Uh, are many things, including the other gospels, are absent here. For instance, there's no genealogy in the gospel according to uh, John. You know why? God needs none. He had no beginning. He had no ending. There is no record of the temptation you know why? God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. We don't see, friend, listen, any transfiguration mentioned. We don't see a struggle in Gethsemane. Luke, writ, Luke wrote to set forth Jesus as the Son of Man, but God, or John wrote to set forth Jesus as the Son of God. I'm going to have to come down there and show y'all how to do what you're supposed to do in a minute if you don't. As this gospel narrative begins, John sends us back into an eternity where only God can be found. And we learn that Bethlehem was not his beginning, but that he was, listen to this, like he said in the book of Psalm, from everlasting to everlasting. We don't start at Bethlehem. But we start in an eternity, friend, where there 
at a beginning where there is no beginning. Listen to what it says in verse 1. I'll come back to it. In the beginning was God. That goes back beyond the beginning of Genesis 1-1, I believe, and it goes back into an eternity where there was no beginning. Although it says in the beginning. Y'all figure that out? Come tell me. Now look, I'm happy that I can't understand this. I'm glad that I can't, I can't uh, uh, explain God. I'm glad I can't comprehend Him. But I'm also glad I can know Him personally, bless God, for eternity. That's pretty good. I'm telling you what a good deal God has given to us. This is what he said. Turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and read with me verse 17. Paul said this talking to Timothy as he sums up what I'm trying to say. Now unto the king, listen to this, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, and here's what we ought to be doing, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Hope you're not getting tired. i got a long way to go. I'm not going to quit early this week if you're wondering. I'll be in under the gun, I think. In this gospel, we find John emphasizing two amazing truths about this man, Jesus. And you know what those truths are? Number one, the first truth is that Christ is God, meaning he emphasizes the deity of Christ as seen in the seven I am statements that are given only in the book of John's gospel. You remember over there in the book of Exodus, chapter chapter 3, long about verse 11 through 14, when, when God was trying to uh, commission, and he did get it done, by the way, a man by the name of Moses, to go down to Egypt and lead his people out of bondage. Moses said, well, Lord, who am I going to tell him I, I, that sent me when he get down there? Glory to God. God looked at him and said, when they ask you who sent you, just tell them, I am that I am has sent thee. You know what that means? It means he's a self-existing God. I read one time that somebody said they figured it out, and I like this, I like to share it. It means, it means this. He said, I exist because I exist. Now, if you're wondering, is that deep? That's deep. Think about that. I am that I am means I exist. Do you know God doesn't need anything from us, but he wants us to praise him, wants us to glorify him. Think about this. You and I and we can bless God. A lump of clay can bless someone who in his thoughts and who in his abilities are higher than the heaven is from the earth. And yet this lump of clay can say, bless the Lord and the Lord gets blessed. If y'all ain't feeling it back there, dude, come up here. I am swimming in it. Do you hear me? I, I am over. 
on the count of three, let's all of us say, bless the Lord. We all, we all be, if you want to. Now, you don't have to. This is a request. But let's bless him this morning. I mean, to tell you, we're to exalt him. We're to magnify him. We're to glorify him. We're to bless him. We're to praise him. We're to honor him. We're to extol him. I don't know how lumps of clay can do it by reading the word of God that when we bless him, he blesses us. So one, two, three. Bless the Lord. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised when we get to heaven, God will say, I remember y'all cranked up there that morning and said, bless the Lord, it blessed me. Do y'all think he'll forget that? Never in your life, brother, sister. You, you might be sitting back there and the devil talking to you and saying, boy, that was a stupid exercise. Well, you look at him telling you, you're a liar and just leave me alone. Not only did John present him as, as deity, as God manifest in the flesh, but John also, friend, showed him in an eloquent way, sets him forth, sets forth Christ in his humanity as no one could but John. Sets him forth, listen to this, this is amazing, in the flesh. Meaning that he took upon himself a body like me and you. Now listen to this, look at the contrast. In the Old Testament, man was made in the image of God. If y'all got that and you know that, say amen. But how many of you knew in the New Testament that God's made an image of man? I heard somebody say, wow. Say that again. We all ought to say that. Isn't that amazing? And let me give you something else to it. I'll say it again in my message. Before he had that body that he has now, he was just a spirit. He didn't have a body. Y'all got that? He was incorporeal. But since he got that body, through entering in the stream of humanity, through a virgin's birth, there'll never be a time from that time forward that he'll be without that body. I think I'm going to quit and go home and go to sleep. I'm wore out. I mean, this is over. I'm telling you, this, this is weighty, buddy. I mean to tell you I am swimming up here over my head and I'm just giving you all the foundation of my message. When I get to the message, it'll go really, really quick. Y'all know that John uses the word sent in his gospel 55 times and at least 45 times of them, it's used of Jesus that he was sent from God. It was no accident that he's here. No accident how he got here. And let me tell you something. His birth was no big thing. It was natural. There was nothing supernatural about his birth. What was supernatural was his conception. His conception. Turn with the book of John, chapter 16. And look at this verse. Verse 28. Can I tell you in this, it is amazing in John's gospel. I'll say something about the simplistic of it in just a minute. But you know what? John's gospel is amazing and how he says so many profound that I'm, even, I'm not even going to use the word profundity here in just a minute. I'll, I'll explain it to you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the definition I know and you already know. But this is amazing. God and John through him, the inspiration of the Spirit, says so much. And so few words. Look at verse 28. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. 
Again, I leave the world and go to my Father. Here's what we have in that verse. Number one, I come forth from the Father. That's the incarnation. Number two, and am coming to the world. That is the, that, wait just a minute. That is the manifestation. He said, I leave the world, that's crucifixion. And I go to my Father, that's ascension. Isn't that amazing? We've got the life and the intent of why Jesus come and where he went when he left in one verse. If that don't amaze you all, shame on you. It's all I can tell you. That is absolutely amazing. But out of heaven's glory he came. Who was, who was before any beginning? And he had, listen, and he was made flesh. You know, you know what? Look, look at what he said in John 1.14. He said, and the word was made flesh. And this next statement is what I want to emphasize. And dwelt among us. You know what that phrase means, and dwelt among us? It means that he pinched his tent right down alongside ours. A tabernacle is what he had. Hence a tent. A temporary thing. Woo! Listen, friend. Oh, how God loves us. Can you imagine God the Son? Not the second part of the Trinity, but God the Son being willing to humble himself to enter in this world through a virgin's womb and then tabernacle with mankind. I'll give you a verse on that in just a minute. Out of the book of Hebrews, it ought to make you happy. But it came down to where man was so that man might be right up to where God is. And it's in this gospel that God was brought down to man. This gospel uh, is many times thought to be simple. Where did Don tell you to start reading in the Bible the other night, Austin, if you don't mind me asking? The book of John. How many times have you sent somebody to the book of John, Josh? How about you, Greg? I don't know where Greg's at. Where? Oh, okay, he's not here. I'll not ask him then. I'll take that back. Hey, it's a great book, but it's one of the deepest books that you can get into when you begin to think about it. But it manifests God in the flesh. It seems to be the simplest of the four accounts of the gospel. One of the reasons is it uses so many single syllable and two syllable words. Look back at John 1 and 1 or quote it with me. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's only one two-syllable words in there, and it's beginning, begin, three-syllable words, excuse me. The rest of them, single-syllable words. Do you ever think about that? Do you all know how somebody's wisdom is made known? By how little they actually speak and how much they speak when they write so little. Man, when somebody can write something that doesn't take but a moment to write, but it is busting out with wisdom and knowledge, that individual is wise, amazingly wise. Listen, although it's simple, here's where I wrote, there is profundity in it or deep insight 
or depth to what God wants us to know. I'm getting there. Y'all still okay? Is this okay? It's a different way to preach. I know that, but I don't know how I could preach it any other way. John had a purpose for writing. And that purpose, we're going to, we're going to read it over here in the book of, of John chapter 20 in just a minute. Let me tell you what he did. He had a purpose to bring out into the open God Almighty. He had a desire to make him known. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1 of the book of John. And these three verses go together. Verse 1, verse 14, and verse 18, by the way. Listen to what it says. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten the Father which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Do you know what that means? That means that Christ brought him out. He brought him close to man so that man could see God. Now listen to me, not in form. Not in form. When Jesus said, who was it, to Philip or Thomas, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he wasn't talking about his form. He was talking about something else. He was talking about his character. So Jesus, now listen to this. I don't think y'all like this as much as I am. But listen to this. Jesus brings God out of eternity. Puts him into time so man could know him. Isn't that amazing? And you know what we learn in John's gospel? We learn that God is light. We learn that God is love. And we learn that God is life. Man, I say glory to God over that. But turn with me to the book of John, chapter 20. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. When you get down to the end to it, this is the purpose of all the above. I like people to have a purpose, don't you? I like to have a purpose. When you go to school to learn how to preach, they try to teach you to have a proposition. Isn't that what it's called, Josh? In other words, you need to be shooting at something you're aiming at rather than to be scattered. He said in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 20, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the, Christ the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through him. Sir or ma'am, if you came here today and you're lost and undone, I hope you see Jesus before you get out of here. I really hope you see him. John's gospel is different intensely, not by accident. So let me give you the message now, and I'm going, and you are too. In this Christmas season, we know... And ought to see again in a message that I'll preach later in messages that you'll hear other preachers preach. You'll hear about the babe that was birthed of a virgin and wrapped in swallowing clothes and laying in a manger. But here in this verse, let me tell you what we see. Number one, back over to verse one now. We see, we see God coming out of eternity. 
And in fact, we see him in eternity because it says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word. Isn't that amazing? It is to me. John 8 and 58 says this. When Jesus was talking to a bunch of religious, religious elite, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Bethlehem wasn't his beginning. He existed before then. He prospered. Man, he was doing all kinds of things. Hey, listen, in the beginning, which has no beginning, Micah said, whose goings have been from old, from everlasting. He existed in a manner that transcends time. He was the Word. You know what that means? That means that he was God's thoughts proceeding from the heart of God about fallen man. And they were put in his only begotten son named Jesus. Can I tell you all, when you think about Jesus, when you look at him, you don't have to wonder what God thinks. God loves us. God wants to give us life eternal. And God is light so that it reveals agents and objects. That's what light does so that we can see his son. This word goes back before Bethlehem, as I've already said. But not only do we see God in eternity, but we see God in unity. In the beginning was the word. And the word was Listen now, with God. If it just said in the Word was God, it would be different. If you're a Jehovah Witness, your Bible said in the Word was a God, that's wrong. But it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, meaning that God the Son and God the Father existed in eternity past, uh, not as one, but as two that were one. You explain that one. There's people that believe we worship plural gods, but the Word was with God. They were two, and yet they were united in purpose, in power. Listen to me. There is no second part of the Trinity, no third part of the Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existing. They're on equal level. They're equal to one another. They have the same plan, same power, and same purpose. And I like that. The Godhead was made up of more than one person. Isn't that amazing too? All of this, all of this is amazing. I'll try to stop saying yet. And yet the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And when he was made flesh to dwell among us, Paul wrote and said that in him, meaning Jesus Christ, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, there wasn't anything lacking in Jesus Christ that you needed to know about God that wasn't manifest in him. Jesus declared God. He brought him out into the open for everybody to see.
I just can't get over. He was God also in his essence. Essence means something that is intrinsic, intrinsic, meaning that it is an indispensable quality of someone which determines its character, that which here is, um, that which is here, whatever. Oh, which is naturally. And he sent, if y'all see my writing, you'd wonder if I could read any of it. Okay? Let me back up and read it now that I've got it. This intrinsic thing that he brought out is the indispensable quality of something which determines its character, that which is naturally and essentially it. John 14, 9 says this. I've already quoted it. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Again, not a form, but God as he is in his character, in his nature, in his attitude, in his person, and in his personality. And he did that through Jesus being born of a virgin. Where you at, Judy? Come on. I am going to get done early. Look at that. Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul said in the book of Philippians chapter 3, but made of himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in the pattern of men. He humbled himself and became obedient Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And you say, why did he do that, preacher? Hebrew 2 gives us some insight into that. I couldn't imagine what it would be for him to take on a new existence like he did. Taking on a body. Now, he's not limited in that body like he was on planet Earth before he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. But it's still amazing to think that God the Son is going to be eternally housed in a body. One of the reasons being, you know, we have a tendency to forget. Y'all know that, don't you? Now, I'm using my imagination again, but I know we're going to see what I'm going to tell you we're going to see when we get there. I, don't hope, I hope we don't have as bad a trouble with memory over there as we do down here. But whether we do or not, here's what I want to tell you. Every time we go by and we see the nail prints, not the scars. They're not healed. The scars in his hands and in his feet will praise him and glorify him. I believe that thought of heart. Every time we see him and see him, We'll give him praise and honor and glory. Look at what he said in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. He said, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest to the things pertaining to God 
to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. You know what that means? That means that Job's prayer for a daysman was answered. That means what Paul said in the book of 1 Timothy 2 and 5, where it says there is one mediator between men and God, the man, Jesus Christ, is available. And it means that today we have a man in glory. I never will forget when I learned that. I was awestruck with it. Why is that important? He understands me when you don't. He understands me better than I know myself. He can forgive me. He can be patient with me. Long-suffering. He, he, he knows me. He became like us so that we could be made like Him. So allow me to close by asking this. Every head bowed, nobody looking around. I don't know your hearts. I know a lot of people in here that I believe are saved. They testify to that. And I believe that, but I don't know everybody in here. Can I ask you this, this morning, can I ask you, is he your Savior? In a couple of weeks, I'll preach on that. But God came. Not only did a king come, not only did a Savior come, but God came. Without God coming, we couldn't have a Savior. But do you know Him as your Savior? He can be. He wants to be. In fact, John, or Luke, 19 to 10, said He came to be. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So if you don't know Him today, won't you come to Him now by faith? I'm going to ask you to get in this just on our... I'll not trip you, trick you, or try you. I'm just going to ask you, if there's somebody come today, you come lost, but you don't want to leave that way, would you care to put your hand up really quickly and quietly and say, Preacher, pray for me. I need Christ as my Savior. I didn't know God went so far for somebody like me. I didn't know He loved me so much. Would you put your hand up and say, Pray for me. Well, if you are here lost, although you didn't raise your hand, won't you call on him? Just tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you don't want to die that way. Tell him you believe that Jesus came to die that so you could live eternity, eternally. And he'll save you. Father, I'm thankful. Thankful for the word of God. Oh, Father, how, how wonderful that book is. Men question it. They mock it. They hate it, despise it. They even claim that the King James Version of the Bible is the most controversial version that there is. I don't know how foolish man can be, but I've proven that man can be foolish. We're thankful for the simplicity of the gospel message. But Lord, it reaches to the heights of heaven, to the depths of hell. The reason I know that, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Didn't that bring you together, a holy God with sinful man? Didn't that link eternity to eternity? Didn't that link heaven and hell? Dear God of heaven, thankful for your word. 
not just your written word, but your living word. Your living word gives credence to the written word. And I don't know that they can even be separated. But I thank you for both. Father, I pray today that if there is anybody lost in this place or looking on, listening in, that they may come to trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, we've been walking today on holy ground in many ways. Thoughts way higher than mine. Things, God, eternally, spiritually deeper, Lord, than, well, we normally may go. It's all for us that are sinners needing to be saved by grace. Do a work that only you can do. Help us that are saved, God, to glean from this message and to return those gleanings with words of praise and thanksgiving to you and your Son. In his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing whatever Jerry and Miss Judy has. If you want to pray, you need to pray, you come. Do whatever God would have you to do. This morning, as, as we think about the message, God came.